Well, uh, this morning, we are considering how, how we arrive at sound doctrine. So the, the title this morning is Arriving at Sound Doctrine. If you did not get a handout, they're up here in the front. Uh, but so far, in Foundations, we have, uh, yeah, this, this semester on, on, I think it was January 3rd, we began the very beginning of our Foundations course. So we have two years of doctrines, and in some ways they, they build on each other. That's certainly true here early on, uh, because last week we looked at inspiration and authority. So how, has, how, how is it that we have the scriptures, right? Is that, is it, are they man-made, or, or, or has God actually spoken through men his perfect word in the way that he uh, yeah, wants us to know him? And so, uh, yeah, we've, we've established that scripture matters then to all of human life. Uh, in a way that we, we can't quantify, right? It, it matters more than anything. It's God's very word. It's necessary for salvation. It's necessary for everything and sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness, as Peter tells us. Uh, and, and because God is the one who has spoken it, it also carries uh, the authority of, of being God's, of being right, uh, because he is the one who has made everything. He knows, uh, he's revealing to us, um, yeah, who, who he is, who we are, how he's made us to live, how he's made the world to, yeah, to work. And, and so, yeah, scripture, we have his, his, um, yeah, his self-revelation in the scriptures, uh, so that we can know him, so that we can enjoy him, so that we can love him, uh, so that we can delight in him. And so, uh, yeah, the question then is, okay, we have the word, so how is it that we have it? How do we actually get to write doctrine from it? Right, because we've seen, we've seen the Bible abused and mishandled and, and yeah, very wicked things be justified uh, by misuse of the scriptures. And so, yeah, we, we believe that God as author has given his word with intended meaning uh, to communicate truth to us yeah, in a, in, a, in, a, in a purposeful way. And so, how do we get to understanding Scripture in the way that He has intended? So, our, our main idea this morning, uh, it's on, it should be at the top of your handout, but it's sound doctrine comes from the Holy Scriptures, that is the Bible. If our teaching of so-called theological truths does not come from the Bible and harmonize with the whole teaching of the Bible, then it is not sound doctrine. So, uh, yeah, sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy. Um, the word doctrine means teaching. So we're describing teaching that's, that's healthy, teaching that is without error, teaching that is in accordance with what God has revealed, both its content and the manner uh, in, in which it is received. Okay, so sound doctrine, if we were going to make a really short uh, broad statement about it, we would say sound doctrine is biblical teaching on theological truths. Okay, so biblical teaching on theological truths. So our, our, uh, our church, in our statement of faith, um, yeah, we, we believe this. We believe that the Holy Bible, both Old and New Testaments, was authored by God and, through divine inspiration, written by men. 
We affirm that the Bible is totally sufficient and trustworthy, completely free from error in the original manuscripts, and reveals the principles by which God will judge us. It includes within it the only way of salvation and has as its ultimate fulfillment Jesus the Christ. The Bible will remain to the end of the world the supreme standard and final authority by which all matters of life and doctrine should be tested. Yeah, so as we read this, what we, what we understand, want to understand here for as we think about sound doctrine is that the scriptures are in some sense a, a plumb line, right? They are, they are a standard, uh, and not only a standard, but the, the supreme standard, right? So that, that's right there in the statement of faith. Supreme standard by which um, all matters of life and doctrine should be tested. So if, we, if we're going to call anything in the church a doctrine, what do we want to make sure that it does? Where do we want to make sure it comes from? Yeah, the scriptures, right? We want to make sure it's, it's doctrine as given by God. Okay. Um, somebody, if somebody would turn to Matthew 15, 8 and 9. And so we'll have a number of times uh, today where we read. I'll, I'll, I'll have people read different passages. When you do that, remember that there are people all the way across the room. And so just read loud and clear and, and help, us, help us to hear. So Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Who has that? Yeah. So we have uh, Jesus quoting uh, from Isaiah as he's teaching the, the Pharisees. And he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, my uh, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. So in other words, what are they doing? They're teaching, uh, they're teaching their human ideas. They're presenting human commandments as, as what? What does the passage say? They're teaching as, what's the word? Doctrines. They're teaching as doctrines, uh, the commandments of men, teaching them as doctrines, right? So I think we can, we can just make some observations about what then is being assumed. What, is, what, is Jesus, what does Jesus believe that there is such a thing as? Well, doctrine, right? We can, we can say Jesus believes there's such a thing as doctrine, um, and also that that doctrine should arise from whose mind? God's mind, yeah. Doctrine should arise from God's mind, not the minds of men. And I think, additionally, when, when the Pharisees are doing this or when anyone else does this, what does Jesus say is, is character, characteristic of them? Is their heart close to God or is their heart far from God? Yeah, their heart is far from God. Right? So uh, because they twist the scriptures, their heart is far from God. Their worship of him is in vain. So understanding rightly, presenting rightly the doctrines of the scriptures is of utmost importance, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So let's let's get into your first sort of main um, 
Roman numeral. A, a brief aside about seeking doctrines in the Bible. So the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say, right? It has a lot to say about, um, yeah, about life and about God and about us, people, about creation. Are, are there things the Bible doesn't say anything about? Yeah, of course, right? So the Bible doesn't tell us how, how to drive a car, right? Or how we should move, you know, some uh, commercial product across the country or how to build a, a table or how to grill a steak, right? So there's lots of, there's lots of things like that that we'll say, yeah, the Bible doesn't, doesn't speak to that. It's not going to tell you how to go out to your garden and, oh, I want to grow limes instead of tomatoes, so what do I need to do to my soil? It's not gonna, it's not gonna give us all that, right? Um, but it's not, it's not aiming to, right? The scripture uh, should not be used for us to develop a doctrine of, of hairstyle, or a doctrine of fashion, or a doctrine of how we treat allergies, or how, uh, yeah, what, what our musical styles, um, yeah, we should have, which ones are best, or, um, yeah, when we should have meals. So that's not to say that we shouldn't consider God's word in, in how we think about what do we wear when we walk out of the house in the morning or what kind of food should we eat to take care of our bodies. You know, sh- sh- like there are, there are ways that those kind of things are related to <clears throat> um, yeah, doctrines the, the scriptures are going to speak to. Uh, you know, there, there should be heart level uh, engagement with with these ideas, these doctrines, um, but when we when we attempt to take those uh, yeah take those kind of things and turn them into doctrines, turn them into formulas uh, uh, by which uh, people must yeah or, yeah by which people must uh, sort of live and function. We're we're actually um, yeah we're actually going to misrepresent God, and and we're gonna we're gonna turn the scriptures then into we're gonna turn Christianity we're gonna turn relating to God into something that actually is I, I think um, yeah I think fearful and strange we're gonna get into to weird ideas and and it's gonna be yeah we're we're not gonna relate rightly to God when we use the scriptures to do things that the scriptures are not intended um, yet to do. So, yeah, let's, let's also speak to uh, scriptures as, yeah, having a, a comprehensive, life-giving heart focus. So the scriptures matter to every detail of human existence, right? Not as, like we're saying, not as an encyclopedia of facts, that make everything clean and formulaic, but what do they do? They, they tell an overarching st- story of God's work in, uh, yeah, God's work in the world, uh, God's eternal purposes, and yeah, what he intends, what he intends to do, who he is, right? They're going to, they're going to tell us Jesus, who Jesus is. They're going to proclaim him as the founder and perfecter of faith. Scriptures are going to declare the power of God for salvation. They're going to shed light onto the whole of human life in a comprehensive sort of orientation of the heart manner, 
right? They are going to aim to govern how we relate to God and how we relate to others. They're going to reshape um, yeah, our perspective on, on everything yeah, pertaining to, to life, to godliness. Right? They're going to assess life uh, from God's frame of reference, from his point of view, helping us to see uh, yeah, who he is and, and changing our, our affections, right? So as we behold Jesus, as we behold his face, we are, we are changed from one degree, one degree of glory to, to another. Okay? And, and I think it's true to say we're going to get wisdom, we're going to get passages that, that apply in this very moment, but then we're also going to see how they all go together to tell us a, a broader, grander story of what God is doing throughout all of history uh, for his own glory and for the good of, of his people. And then, and then secondly, uh, yeah, the grand redeeming narrative structure of, of Scripture. So, yeah, as we think about all of uh, the different genres of Scripture, what, what kind of, as you think about genres, what's in the Bible? What's a genre? What do I mean? Yeah, narrative, right? So you have story. Uh, you, you get a lot of that. Uh, especially, yeah, in, in Genesis, Exodus, you know, Leviticus, Numbers. I mean, you get it all over the place, but certainly there's, there's a lot of storytelling, right? What else? What else do we see? Poetry. Yeah, so we have Psalms and we have Ecclesiastes and we have, you know, Moses writing the Song of Moses. And, uh, and, and then you have, you know, not only the Book of Psalms, but, but, but Psalms, songs, that are, that are sort of threaded throughout Scripture. What else? Yeah, we have parables. Good. So Jesus is going to use stories and, and give illustrations and examples to teach yeah, in ways that people will understand how life sort of works, but then to help them understand truths about the kingdom of God. Yeah. What, what else? History. Yeah, you have history. You have actual accounting of genealogies and family trees and 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 kings right you you have an entire um yeah 20 at least 2500 years worth of human history prior to the coming of jesus that's tracked and then you have the church and acts and 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 the way the gospel begins in you know here in jerusalem and then goes to judea and samaria and then to the ends of the earth so yeah so we have history and and, and we have prophecy, right? God sending his prophets to proclaim what is going to come um, and call them to repentance. You have, you have wisdom literature. You have epistles. You have God's promises. And, and the thing is, all of them actually fit together and are cohesive together to tell one story, right? To tell us about the one true God and his work in, in the world. And so as we come to Scripture, I think what we need to see is that all of these things are, are given intentionally uh, by God and, and arranged intentionally by God uh, in the same way that, you know, if, you, if you're going to build a house, you've got lots of nails and you've got some two-by-fours and sheetrock and plywood and drywall mud and paint. You have all these things that go in and there's a lot of ingredients, but then you have to arrange them in a certain way and, they, and they, yeah, you can build a house. But, but God is doing something much, much, much grander. Um, and giving all these, these pieces of Scripture throughout 
thousands of years that go together and unfold in a particular way uh, to say something about about him. Okay, so uh, so again, yeah, we so we're not going to come to the Bible uh, to figure out what's what's the right time we're supposed to have lunch every day, uh, but we can come to the Bible and we can see that hey, there's someone who made lunch. There's someone who made food and has given it to us uh, and as, as a reminder that we need daily and moment by moment, we need sustenance, right? We need to be sustained. We, um, yeah, we need bread to live. And in the same way, we're learning spiritual realities about how God upholds the universe by the word of his power and, and how, uh, yeah, we ought to praise the one who gives good things, okay? So, um, yeah, so the scripture is going to teach us how to relate rightly to, to these things while, you know, maybe not necessarily speaking to how we go about doing every little detail. Um, yeah, it's going to give us the framework for how we ought to function in a way that relates rightly to God in it. Okay. So as we search for sound doctrine in the Bible, um, yeah, we're at least in, in part attempting to answer the question, what does God think we really need to know? Right? What does he think that we really need to know? At times, we don't know everything I think that we want to know in every moment, but we have what God thinks we need to know. Right? Or thinks is kind of a weak word. What God, what God knows that we need to know. Right? Yeah. Okay, so Roman numeral two, careful study. So we don't, you know, we're not going to arrive at sound doctrine through feelings or yeah, mystical encounters with, with spirits or meditating deeply or, um, yeah, just we're not going to randomly get there. Okay? Rather, we are going to get to sound doctrine through humble and careful study of the scriptures. He has given his word for, for this reason. And you know, I think we also are going to see at numerous places in the Bible, God, God is going to call attention to um, yeah, to those who will, who will respond appropriately and rightly uh, to God's word. So Ezra 7.10, could somebody grab that and read that for us? Who can do that? Awesome. Thanks, Tori. Yeah, so I, I, t- I think I gave you one verse too late. I'm going to, can you read nine also? Yeah, read it one more time. Keep going. Okay, okay. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Good. Yeah. So, uh, so we have Ezra. He's coming to Jerusalem, coming back. And it says, the good hand of his God was on him. And then it says, for Ezra had 
set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So, teaching God's word, is it the first thing that Ezra does? Of course not. Yeah, what's the first thing he does? Yeah, he sets his heart to study the law of the Lord. And, and then to what? To do it. And then to do it. And then to teach it. Right, so you have, I, I, think, I think that's a great example of how we ought to come to God's word. In the same way, the same example Ezra gives us, uh, or, or that we have with Ezra, we, we are to set our hearts to know God through studying his, his law, his word. Right? We, we behold him in the scriptures. And then, how, is, it just, is it just something good to read and to know? No, we're saying that it matters for all of life. It matters for relating rightly to God. It matters for um, having godliness. So our aim as we study should be to grow in obedience. And then as we obey, then, then we're rightly holding doctrine so that we can teach others. Right? So if, if we're not obeying, if our mind is not on obeying the Scriptures, what does that say about our doctrine? It actually says something is off with it, right? Something is off with the way that we, we approach and believe the Scriptures. Because if we approach them rightly, we believe them rightly, then, then what? Then, then we obey them, right? Um, so there's yeah, always ways, I think, that yeah, we need the Lord to be con- conforming us and changing us and, and upholding us. Uh, yeah, but this, this should be our aim. Yeah, so we could, we're going to talk about two specific things. So I, th- I think we can say so much about methods of coming to the Bible. Like we could unpack lots of, I think, mechanics for how to rightly read the scriptures. And, and I think, you know, I think we could talk a little bit about that here in a bit. Um, but I think the, the main thing I want us to think about here is going to be, so you have A and B on, on your handout under this, this heading. So reading and listening, uh, and, then, and then understanding. Okay, so arriving at sound doctrine, what do we first have to do? We have to read, right? Or, or you know, as I think about human history, there's a lot of centuries of, of history where people didn't, didn't have the luxury of reading. Right? There's some people in the world who, right now, don't, don't have the scriptures in their own language. They can't even hear it audibly in their own language. Right? So I, I, think, I think that's really humbling. It, I think it should be really humbling for us to go, man, how kind of God to give us his word in these days, the days in which we live, in our language so that we can know him. Um, so that we can know him specially through it. So, yeah, I think we, whether we're reading or whether we're listening, I think the point is we're, we are actively engaging and thinking about and meditating on the scriptures, right? Uh, Joshua, I think 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that, what? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, so, um, yeah, we want to dedicate ourselves to reading the scriptures, listening to what God has to say, meditating on the truth. And then, uh, and then secondly, understanding, right? So a primary goal of reading the scriptures is not to check a box. It is to understand them. It is to know God through them. And so, yeah, we want to we wanna actually grab onto what God means by what he says. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of resources, a lot of strategies for understanding the Bible. I think we, we want to start by realizing that God gave the scripture to be read, to be heard, to be comprehended by not just experts, but by normal people, by his people, right? So uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, as Paul saying to the Corinthians, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So who are God's people? They're not, they're not an elite class of geniuses. We, we are not an elite class of geniuses. Right? By worldly standards, not many of us would be considered wise, right? I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not a shot at anyone's intelligence. It's just, it's just the way it is, right? Um, that's, what, that's what God's Word says, right? So, yeah, I think the reason that we can understand what God says in His Word then can be attributed to, to sort of two things, right? So first of all, it's the plain language of His Word, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then also, uh, most importantly, the help of His Spirit, right? His Spirit who, who illumines the Scriptures for us. Second uh, Peter 3.16, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter says of Paul's writings, there are some things in them, that is, in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So, as I say, as I you know, mentioned a second ago, the plain language of his word, does that mean all scriptures are easy to comprehend? No. I can think of times I've come to a, pro- a prophet and gone, I don't have any idea what this means. I need help. Lord, would you help me? And, Lord, would you give me brothers and sisters that can speak, speak to this to help me as well, to walk with me in it. Okay, so, yes, there are parts that are, are, are difficult to understand. So, so Peter is going to say, what, what's he going to say? How many things are hard to understand in the Scriptures? He doesn't say many things. He doesn't say most things. He doesn't say all things. He says some things. There are some things that are hard. Um, keep in mind, Peter... What is his profession? Again, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. He's a fisherman. Uh, He says some things are hard, but he's not going to say it's impossible. He's not going to say the scriptures are inaccessible. He's going to say some things are hard to understand. Um, So, yeah, I think we want to understand, though, that, yeah, as we have the Spirit, as Peter had the Spirit, um, yeah, with an openness, then, to know the truth, with an openness to submit to the truth, to really search for it, um, yeah, with the Spirit's help, the Scriptures can 
can't actually be rightly understood. Okay? It is not inaccessible to us. I had a seminary professor who used to say, um, I have it written in another Bible, but he used to say, the Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. I think it's such a good quote. The Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. There's fruit to be had, the Bible yields it. But we have to approach it with a desire to know God and to really dig in them. Um, yeah, we need, of course, like, yeah, like I said, we need the Spirit's help in that. Um, so I'm going to give us a, a word here, a phrase, the, the pers- perspicuity. Okay, that's a f- fancy word. Pers- perspicuity of Scripture. It just is a phrase, a technical phrase that, that's summarizing the idea that the Bible was actually given in plain and clear language, right? In, in, in true language um, that, is, that is accessible. So sound doctrine, therefore, as we, as we summarize biblical teaching uh, on theological truths, our, our doctrine as we explain it should also have uh, perspicuity, okay? It should have clear and plain language. Uh, and then, as, as we're saying, as Peter is saying about Paul's writings, there is some scripture that's hard to understand. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I think this is a really helpful nod that he gave to the reformers. He said, as they thought about scripture, interpreting scripture, uh, this, is, this is sort of their rule of thumb that they used. They said, scripture interprets scripture. Scripture is not to be interpreted against scripture, or that is in opposition to other scriptures. And plain scripture is to interpret obscure scripture. So you want help explaining what this that feels more obscure or more difficult? Think about how it relates to other passages. Let the scriptures help interpret what this passage means. Let this passage be helped to be understood by all of these scriptures, right? So because we're saying it all goes together, Together, because we're saying it all comes from God, because we're saying it all is, is unified as his revelation, it's not contradictory. It, it, will, it will go together, right? And it can be understood that way. So then, it's not the scriptures that are the chief obstacle for us in understanding scriptures. What is the chief obstacle for us? Ephesians Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay? A hardened heart is the chief obstacle to, uh, to understanding the scriptures. So this is going to bring us to our third Roman numeral, which is humble thinking. Yeah, so as we, as we read, as, yeah, as I was saying, as we read and understand texts of the Scripture, we should see uh, points of connection between them, right? We should see how they fit together. And I think as we, as we do it more and more and more, what begins to happen is we begin to see common themes and common topics and common ideas and, and key words. What we, we see by reading, we, we begin to see structure and we begin to see Things that jump out is, oh, this is repeated a lot. This must be important. Or, uh, yeah, relationship between words. Okay. So the first, the first thing is going to be, uh, yeah, gathering. If we, if we want to believe and teach sound doctrine, then we can't just build a doctrine on 
one passage of Scripture in isolation. So sometimes there might be Scripture, or, or as we think about this one thing, we might go, there's only one passage that speaks to that. And you know what? That might be true. And one passage is enough. So what I'm not saying is that one passage is not enough uh, to, to give us truth. What I am saying is that passage should never be understood in isolation. Okay? Um, and, and we should consider how all of Scripture contributes to the understanding of that one passage. So, yes, every single text is inspired uh, by God's Word. And yes, right doctrine can be concluded from a single text. But sound doctrine is learned through the agreement of a collection of scriptural passages. Right? Understand? Yeah? Okay, so as we think about marriage, one passage on marriage is going to, it might give us something good about marriage. But then there may be another passage about marriage over here, maybe about divorce, that helps us understand something else about marriage. Uh, or, yeah, another passage. So I'm, I'm thinking of Jesus speaking um, in Matthew and Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 7 and um, Adam and Eve being united in Genesis. Like we, so we have all these, these uh, yeah, pictures and passages that speak to what marriage is, what divorce is, um, and, and then that helps us understand the bounds of and to begin to build a doctrine of marriage, right? Or as we think about God's sovereignty, uh, we might think about a passage about God's election or about God in Exodus hardening Pharaoh's heart. And we see, oh, God is sovereign over Pharaoh here. But, but then, as we think about that, and then we also add in the passage on the other side about man's responsibility or about other passages in the same section of Exodus about Pharaoh hardening his heart toward God, you go, okay, we're beginning to understand that there's, there is a tension here, there is a, but there's a cohesion here, right? And it helps us understand bounds and, and what we're saying when we say God is sovereign, what we're saying when we say man is responsible. We understand how they actually feed each other and, and help give light uh, back and forth to one another as passages, okay? Um, up to this point, does anybody have questions or comments? Is this all making sense? Okay. Anytime you guys have thoughts or comments, questions, please feel free to chime in. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep going. Gathering passages of Scripture is not enough. So we've, we've rounded up the, the supplies, right? We're, we're, we're seeing that, oh, there's, there's a whole bunch of passages about marriage. There's a whole bunch of passages about 
how God is sovereign and, and how man is responsible. But, but it's not enough to just to grab the passages. Now we have to begin thinking about, like, like I was describing, how they, how they sort of work together, right? So Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, this is a quote uh, from him. He said, this is from his, uh, there's a book called The Great, Great Doctrines of the Bible. And he said this, I suggest we do this. We do collect our texts. We discover every statement that we can find in the Bible on a particular subject. Then, having gathered them together and having collated them, we proceed to discover the doctrine which lies at the foundation. That is what we're concerned about. Here are these various statements. What is the doctrine they are propounding? What are they telling us? What is the basic something that is common to all of these statements? That is our doctrine. So I also want to say, yeah, as, we're, as we've said, that sound doctrine is biblical teaching on theological truths. We could say it from sort of the, the backdoor angle of that is uh, that sound doctrine is the theological truth that the Bible teaches. Okay? So on the one hand, we're saying biblical teaching on theological truths. On the other hand, we're saying the theological truth that the Bible teaches. I, I think the reason that, that I, I think it's helpful to sort of think about it that way is, is just to recognize that sound doctrines are the realities that God reveals through his word. We don't create sound doctrine. We're not making it. Right? We draw sound doctrine out. We explain it from scripture. But we're not, this is not us fabricating something. Um, what's the, what's the, I just thought of uh, Rich Mullins in his song, uh, The Creed. I did not make it, it is making me. It's the very truth of God, not the invention of every man. I think, I think that's, that's how we want to under, understand. And, I have a question to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. Why? So uh, the question is, why are there so many doctrines out there, uh, and why is there different? Why are there different interpretations? Yeah, I. I um, I think it's a really good question. Um, I remember, so, yeah, an exercise that I had to do in a seminary class was, okay, take Acts 1.8, one verse, make 25 observations. So I had, to, I had to make 25 observations, and then I come back to class next time, and professor's like, great, now go and make 25 more observations. And I'm like, man, I felt like I had to stretch so much just to get those first 25. And I, I think... You know, his point was, observe, 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 observe. Don't, don't try to interpret before you've made good observation. Like, any, like, we can be off one degree here, but as we begin to stretch that out over time, we get farther and farther apart in our doctrine. And that's not to, so that's, that's just saying that I think we're always, um, I'm certain 
that, that for me personally, I, I believe what I believe, right? Um, I, I aim to, to get what I believe from the scriptures, right? So the, the posture that we're talking about of submitting to it and wanting the truth, um, yeah, my, my prayer is that that would always be true of me and more and more true of me. Um, but I'm certain that there are many ways I still need to grow and many things I don't know, right? And I, I, think, that's, I think that's true of us. Um, so so why, does, yeah, why do we have different interpre- interpretations? I think, yeah, I think we have different interpretations sometimes because, because we've lacked good observation and one or both of us are off in some way. Um, but then sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes I think we, we hold scripture together one way. So I'm thinking about like even the fact that there's a Presbyterian church that meets in our building that believes differently about baptism than we do. So I could sit here and go, you know, they believe in, in baptizing babies. I know how they get there. I just think they're, I think it's wrong. I love them. You know, I think God works in, in our differences to teach us charity and patience and like so I think God is doing other things uh, in the space where we don't agree or, or you know where our where our I think um, yeah where our pursuits are sincere I don't think sincerity is a rep- so I, I can give all these caveats right um, I think it's important that we keep striving for the truth uh, but then yeah I think as we recognize have this humble posture toward always going I can grow. I need God to keep changing me. I need to understand more sharply. And yet, I'm not wherever I was yesterday. I'm, I am growing. And, and that person is in the same, or that, you know, that denomination is in the same boat. And I think they're wrong about that thing. But they're holding the gospel up. I, I just want to go, man, let's, let's have charity in our disagreements. Let's be patient and let God work through the things that we don't understand together to teach us different things. You know what I mean? That's a long, that was a way too long answer, but <laughs> it was a great question. And I think yeah, much I more can be said. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, let's, so I'm gonna give us two, so Lloyd-Jones does this, he gives us sort of two camps of, or, or two, um, two frameworks of logic to kind of think about, um, yeah, so two broad forms of reasoning uh, to think about uh, using. So we're not, we don't think deduction and induction, that's the two, that's the two uh, kinds of, of thinking, the two kinds of reasoning. We don't think about them as yeah, being what we should do because Martin Lloyd-Jones says it, uh, yeah, but because we see Jesus do it. You know, we see Jesus using, and, and Paul and the writers of Scripture using in inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning. So let me let me um, let me unpack that. We'll do some examples. We'll unpack it a little bit, and then yeah, if there are questions, um, happy to happy to also do that. So Matthew twenty two thirty one to thirty three. Can somebody does somebody get that? And while that's happening, uh, could somebody get Romans six one through four as well? So how about this? Who can get the Matthew twenty two passage? Shannon, thank you. Um, 
Who can get Romans 6, 1 through 4? Who can get... Um, oh, there's going to be quite a bit here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, who can get Deuteronomy... What am I doing? Not, not that. Acts 22, 12 through 16. And then Colossians 2, 11 to 12. And then 1 Peter 3, 18-22. Okay, so let's do this. Somebody go ahead and read Matthew 22, 31-33. So Jesus here is going to use inductive reasoning, right? So he is going to, he's going to start with a specific statement to get us to a general sort of principle um, or a general point of, of theology. So he's going to use an inductive statement, uh, or, or I'm sorry, inductive reasoning to establish what from the Old Testament? So when he says, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? He's pointing back to Exodus 3, Moses at the burning bush. Okay, This is when God's revealing himself to who he is to Moses. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So using that Old Testament passage, pointing back to it, Jesus is using it to say what? to the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. There's your context clues. He's even saying that they're still alive. They're alive. Yeah, he's using it to say, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God. He's saying, no, you're mistaken. The resurrection is very much a fact, and it was revealed to you by God through through the word that you say that you revere, right? Yeah, so he's going to, that's, that's inductive reasoning. Okay. Now, let's do Romans 6, 1 through 4. Is that you, Katie? So um, I'm going to encourage you guys, if you have a Bible, you should turn to this passage because we're going to look at it for just a minute, okay? Uh, What I want to do is, in these four verses, I think there's two main premises that Paul is going to lay out here. So tell me what a premise, when I say a premise, it's going to be sort of like an idea that a conclusion is then going to go and be made from. So his question, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, he's asking a question, right? How should we relate to sin as, as Christians? 
So what is, the, what is the first premise that we see in these verses? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, so certainly, that's certainly true. I think he's going to do it. Look at, look at verse 2. Is this, a, is this a real question or is it a rhetorical question? Yeah, it's rhetorical. What is the point? He died to sin. Good. So anyone who has died to sin can no longer do what? Live in it, right? Anyone who's died to sin can no longer live in sin. So second premise, verse 3. What do you get from verse 3? So anyone who has been baptized into Christ was what? Baptized into his death. By, by being united with Christ, we're baptized into his death. His death counts as our death, right? Through our union with Christ. So then, as we draw out a conclusion, what is verse 4 then going to say? Based on those truths about, yeah, about being baptized into Christ... And, and, and the fact that anyone who's died to sin can no longer live in it, what's, what does he say from verse 4? Christ was raised from the dead. Yes. Yeah, the, the reason that we're buried with him by baptism into death is so that, verse 4, so that we might also be raised with him to walk in newness of life. And then he's, he's answering the questions from verse 1, right? So, so second conclusion would be those who have union with Christ, that is those who have died to sin, which is all Christians, can no longer live in unbroken patterns of sin, right? Yeah, so this is, this is deductive reasoning. This is taking a passage and understanding the relationship between words and questions and phrases and going, okay, I'm going to use logic and reasoning to unpack what is the argument? What is the argument? And you'll do this differently uh, with different genres of scripture, right? So you don't treat Psalms, poetry, you don't treat it the same way that you treat Paul's logical argument. It doesn't mean it's not just as true, it's just that the way that we read it literally is according to its literary genre, how it's intended to be taken and understood. Okay? So deductive reasoning is going to lead us to a clear theolog theological truth. Um, now, that's, that's great for this passage, but it's still not going to be, it's going to give us a precise thing, but it's not going to be enough because arriving at sound doctrine is going to require some more, right? Because this isn't the only passage about the resurrection. There's a lot of passages about the resurrection. Um, you could look at the Old Testament for others, right? You see Daniel, uh, I think it's Daniel chapter 12. You see the resurrection prophesied. Jesus, you know, there will be one who will be the, the firstborn, the, the first fruits of the resurrection. Psalm 16, David, God's anointed, saying, you know, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. I think it's a promise about the resurrection. Um, yeah, we could, we could say much more. But, but from this passage, from Romans 6, what doctrines might this be uh, helpful as we think about 
Not just baptism, what else? What else does it speak to? I'm sorry. Um, I said baptism. Not just, well, baptism. Yeah, it does speak to baptism. Um, But it also speaks to, as we said, uh, doctrine of, um, yeah, sin. What does it look like to be raised? So resurrection, the fact that we're united with Christ, so the doctrine of union with Christ. Uh, you know, it's, be, it's going to be included in lots of doctrinal um, statements and, and building out. So let's, let's keep going. I'm actually going to um, thanks everyone who volunteered to read all the other passages. We're not going to read them. Um, I do want us to think about another, so sort of the flip side, I mentioned inductive reasoning. So somebody tell me where... Um, where the word Trinity is in the Bible. I see you shaking your head no. Why? Yeah, you don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. Um, There's no statement of God saying, I'm one unified God in three persons. Right? There's no statement of, I exist in Trinity. What What do we do then? Why is it that we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? Good. Yeah, there's passages in Scripture that speak to God that way. So, Genesis 1.26, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to read some of these passages. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So one possibility is that God's speaking on behalf, the speaking is, is, is all three persons speaking together. Um, let us make man. Another possibility is that this is merely God as one God speaking in plurality of majesty. Like there's, there is different theories about what's happening here. But it's at least, it's worth noting. And let's, let's hold it here, right? Let's, let's keep it on the table as potentially speaking to, um, yeah, the three persons of the Godhead. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... One. God is one. That's relevant, right? As we think about God, there being one true God. Um, Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There's one God. Singularly. Right? Singularly, there is one God. Luke 3 says, Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. How is that relevant to the doctrine of the Trinity? Who else do you see? That's true. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is speaking on behalf of who? The Father. Yeah, he's proceeding from the Father to speak. Uh, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. So you see Father, Son, Spirit. Now you don't, you don't hear him. Um, you don't hear the Father mentioned. I think because of other scriptures, we know uh, that the Father, the Spirit is speaking yeah, for the Father about his Son. Right? So... I think because you see a son, you are my beloved son, that's why we can infer that the father is the one saying, you are my son, right? But, but through the spirit. 
Um, this is John 10. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I, gave them, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming union with the Father, right? The, Jesus, or the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The, Jesus, then Je- I'm sorry, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Even the Jews interpret him and know him to be saying that he is, that he is God, right? And we can... We can do that all day with statements that Jesus made. And it's why, because he's claiming himself to be God, it's why you'll have, um, well, you, have, you do have like John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, yeah, you have, um, <clears throat> yeah, you have, you have lots and lots of pastors. So when we put these together, what, what things might we, might we say? How many gods are there? There's one God. It's very clear. There's one God. And yet we see God existing as, how many, how many persons have we seen? Yeah, Father, Son, and Spirit are all uh, yeah, said by the Scriptures to be God. So third premise is going to be they're one yet distinct persons, okay? So what conclusion might we, might we draw? Well, there's one God, and he exists in three persons. And this is a mystery to us, and I think hard, I mean, hard to grasp, right? There's no one like God. So it's hard to grasp, um, but, but I think we, it's, it's a mystery, though we, you know, we can comprehend it, and yet I think there's depths of comprehension that can grow. Right, and we summarize it as Trinity. We believe that God is Trinity. He is the Triune Godhead. So this is inductive reasoning. This is this is taking a lot of uh, specific statements and building them together to say a broad thing. So before we we took some um, with, with deductive reasoning, we took some. Uh, sort of categories and, and broad, broad categories of what it means that we've been united with Christ. Therefore, here's a specific statement on what that means we should do. Okay, so these are two sort of interplaying um, types of, uh, yeah, just types of, of logic and thinking and getting to the truth. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I just think it's, yeah, it's really important, y'all, that as we approach the scriptures, um, yeah, we think about just basic language rules, right? Like, how do we, how is it, if, if, if we're saying that Scripture has pers- perspicuity, if it has, uh, it is plain and accessible, then with work, with the Spirit's help, with conversations with one another in the body, who God has also given His Spirit, we, we can help one another and we can grow in our knowledge of, of the truth. Okay, so, yeah, I think there's lots of 
There's lots of other um, sort of rules besides just the logic piece, but also how we think about how do we make observations, how do words relate, should we pay attention to the tense that this is in, should we pay attention to whether this is plural or singular, I mean, you know, what, what's the relationship between a cause and an effect? Um, you know, what are, there's chronological statements like this happened, then this happened. How should we pay attention to the, the right order and unfolding? Like all of these things are relevant and, and matter as we approach the scriptures because God intended us to know them in a specific way. Okay. Um, so all to say, let's, uh, I, yeah, obviously we need to wrap up. So section four, cooperative faithfulness to the word. This is, yeah, just as I mentioned earlier, um, I think it's, it's good for us to know that as we approach the scriptures, we do it humbly. We always know that we, we can be wrong. We can be wrong about things. We can be sharpened by other brothers and sisters. But we shouldn't be sharpened in a way that means we're abandoning Scripture, right? To be sharpened means a brother or sister is helping us as we come to the Word to understand it more clearly, more fully, to put it into practice more faithfully. We could be wrong, but, you know, so we, we just want to have a posture of humility and, and be teachable and, and be able to, yeah, have, um, yeah, have our minds change where they need to be changed. We could also be, uh, I think, incomplete. So Acts 18, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately said he's competent in the scriptures, and yet there was room for him to grow. Right? So I, I think it's good for us to remember we, we could be incomplete. Um, and, then, and then the last thing um, just on your handout is God's design of, of body life. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't learn and grow by God's design. We don't learn and grow in isolation. We learn and grow. We, yes, we can study the scriptures on our own, and we should do that. We should pray, we should meditate, but we should also, um, yeah, be bringing these things to brothers and sisters and be, uh, yeah, be subject to one another so that we can grow together and sharpen each other in the same way that iron sharpens iron. Um, that is all I have. I'm happy to answer questions. We need to wrap up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then if you have questions, I'm, I'm happy to chat. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for your grace, uh, Lord, which in, in one way is manifested in the kindness of you giving your word to us. Uh, Lord, we need your word. We need you to speak to us. Um, had you not given your word, had Christ not come to uh, be the, the image of God, the, the, the way that you've spoken in these last days as, as the fullness of God, had, had none of these things happened, we would be in utter darkness not knowing you, not knowing the truth, not knowing who we are, how we should live, but we need your help. So we ask that you would instruct us, that you would help us to grow in how we handle your word, that you would help us to do that um, faithfully with brothers and sisters, committed to submitting to you, committed to um, yeah, receiving 
uh, from you what you have intended so that we would be filled with joy and thanksgiving and uh, that we would grow into the knowledge um, yeah, and enjoyment of Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.